We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey there, Knicks fans and football fans. Everybody's happy today. Uh, it's your boy, John of the Macri with you for what? what Andrew is not happy. New York Jet fans are not happy today, John. But we haven't watched real football in a decade. So you don't have to. I was to like, did I screw up the intro when I said <laughs> Andrew shaking his You head. did say, you did say, and football fans, it's a happy, everyone's happy today. And that does not apply to the team that I root for. So I was going to make a joke. About it. So we're recording this at 7.54 p.m. on Sunday night, about uh, 20-ish minutes after the Giants completed, I think I could say, an improbable comeback in Tennessee to to beat the Titans, um, who I believe are a better team. I don't know much about the NFL this season, but I believe they're supposed to be a better team, at least. Going by last year alone, the Titans were the number one seed in the AFC. And there you go. The Giants um, beat them in Nashville. So before that comeback, I was going to make a joke about how, you know, the Knicks are really going to have the pressure on by the time they open camp, because by the time they open camp, both football teams will already be out of their respective seasons. But now 
I can't make that joke. And it is because of the team that Jeremy Cohen roots for. Congratulations, Jeremy. Thank you. Yes. Uh, you could still probably make that joke in about three or four weeks. But for right now, you cannot make that joke. Uh, thanks to uh, Brian. Look at day balls on him. Incredible to go over. A <laughs> I love the conversion. call. I love the call. I was talking with my roommates as we were watching and I was like, there's no reason to go for a two point conversion. Like it's worst case scenario. It's 1920. You have to try to get three stops. Like, best case you get it. They're going to march downfield, kick a field goal. They get the two point conversion. I'm like, great choice. Always was always behind it. Always thought it was perfect idea to do it. Analytics. Let's go. Fantastic. So yeah, it was, it's nice to not have to root for a loss, even though going into the game, I'm, I was very ambivalent about what would happen with the season. And there's still time for it to go very downhill. But until then, it seems great. So uh, I'm going to celebrate. The only the only thing I saw going downhill. Oh, that looks good. The only thing I saw going downhill was Saquon Barkley today. Uh, Orange ale. Yeah, he he was pretty good. Yeah, he is Um, the quarterback. I'm not not so sure about that one. (laughs) Um, Listen, he'll do he'll do a fantastic job working at Morgan Stanley in a couple of years. He'll make them so much money. It'll be great. He's a smart dude. Um, this is probably a good transition to what we're going to talk about today, because I wonder if you would, if you ask giant fans right now, after one or no, everybody's flying high, right? Like what, what do you want out of the season? I wonder what different answers you get, because it seems as if you may not have the quarterback of the future or the present here today. Um, so are there still giant fans who are like the only thing today did was like, get us further from the number one pick in the draft. Is it like, let's finagle our way through this season, win as many games as we can, and we'll figure out the quarterback situation later. Um, You know, let's not waste Barkley's prime. Like I I can imagine there being a lot of uh, different um, responses to that. Yeah. I mean, to that, I would say like the draft for the NFL is different to me than the NBA draft because it feels like much more of a, not a crapshoot, but like 2018, for example, right? That was the year for quarterbacks. You had Baker Mayfield going first. And then I'm just looking again, Sam Darnold went third and sorry, Andrew and uh, Josh Allen went seventh. The whole purpose of this is to just get that bit in. Exactly. But it's the sort of thing where obviously Josh Allen is incredible. And he went seventh overall taken by, Shane, who was Joe Shane, who was with yeah. Buffalo, he wasn't the GM at the time, I believe he was assistant GM. Uh, but that sort of mindset where it's like you don't necessarily have to tank your way to the top pick. It just, you kind of just want to build within the team. And if you need to trade up, then but ha- go for it. But that it also helps when you have extra draft picks at your disposal to then make the trade up more easier sure. or easier. And that's where the similarities with the NBA come into play, where it is a lot easier to trade up in a draft when you use another team's assets instead of your own or use your own and then have coverage from the other team. Well, I mm, I don't want to get into a whole thing about trading up in the draft because I, I as you know by now I think I am slightly less optimistic than you about the possibility of trading up for a true no true superstar same, talent in the NBA. We're on the same page on yeah, that. Okay. It's re- listen, we've done enough podcasts where we, yeah I have laid out how hard it is to trade up and talking about how even with the with Jaden Ivey how difficult it would be for the Knicks to get to that point. I'm just saying that it's easier to trade up in the NFL draft than it is trade up in the NBA draft because of how many picks there are, because of how many players play on the field uh, and just the general nature of it. It's just easier to do that. For sure. Um, let's get to what we're talking about today. Uh, 
and I'll, I guess first I'll say what spurred this idea because I think it was my idea. Uh, it, it feels like now in the aftermath of the trade saga, which should not be named, which shall not be named. I don't want to say his name. Uh, the conversation around many Nick fans has basically turned to like, okay, well, it's half of like, let's make sure we're not in the same situation again. And it's half of like, what, what the F are we doing here? Like, what's the point of this season? You know? Um, And there's been obviously, as it should be a lot of talk about prioritizing the young players and getting them time and putting them in positions to succeed and this, that, and the other thing. And I agree with all that. And at the same time, you have ostensibly a front office who continues to want to win games. Um, And we talked a little bit about this last week, and I think we'll talk more about it as we get closer to the season. And that is a reality. Um, And they are not going anywhere. And because they want to win games, it does not seem like the head coach is going anywhere before the season. Be a bit of a shock at this point. Uh, if he was, uh, can you imagine if we got the break, the Woj, uh, Tom Thibodeau's been relieved of his job days on like September 18th? Uh, I can't. So, anyway, this is where we're at. And we thought it would be good to go through our respective top five lists of like what will make a successful Knicks season to John and Jeremy. Um, Andrew, did I miss anything? Or Jeremy, did I miss anything? There was one thing, wasn't it, about wants versus needs as well? Yeah. So that was the other idea that I had, which is like basically Andrew would like pitch us something like, uh, you know, Emmanuel quickly plays 27.5 or more minutes per night. Um, is that something we need or is that something we want? And I think what these lists will organically bring out uh, between the two of us is like in how we order these things, you know, do, do we do we really want them or do we feel like we need them? Because I know for me, there's definitely there's a first tier, which is my top two. There's a second tier, which is my three and my four. And then I could have had several things in my number five spot. So it kind of graduates slowly from like wants to like really, really wants to like we, we kind of need it. So I feel like we could probably present it as our five and then add in the color commentary of that exactly. Yeah, but we start at five and we go up to one. And if you hit something that I had on my list or vice versa, we'll say it then. It's uh we're borrowing from uh which which big picture episodes it's the which big picture episodes do this where if you hit on somebody else's you have to talk about it at that moment. Are you are you asking me the ins and outs of how to do a top five list, John? <laughs> I think I am, Andrew. I, are you? Yeah. I um, think so. I think just go back and forth. If it seems like you have the same one, say it's on my list too, and talk about it then. If it's like exactly two yes. and Jeremy's five, that's then have the conversation then. Yeah. Okay. But I should preface this with the, these two have not discussed their lists beforehand. So if not, they are surprising each other with what their lists end up being. Okay. Who goes first? I'm not doing high card draw. Jeremy, you go first. There you go. <laughs> All right. So uh, if we're starting with the fifth one in terms of importance, um, I'm going to talk about, well, as I'm kind of reordering, because before I just had like five general things, but now. Oh, oh so I screwed it, you over. I'm sorry. That's okay. Because I got it. Now. Sorry, not sorry. So uh, sliding into my number five spot, I've got winning games. A lot oh, wow. of this, this season will be judged naturally by the team's record at the end of the day. 
the way I went with last year was again, I thought <laughs> I kept thinking like the Donovan Mitchell type trade was going to be next summer. And so I was operating on that with the belief of like, all right, anything goes in 2022 or 2021 to 2022. And then 2022, 23, you really want to be good. Because then you want to have the opportunity to use some of these players as trade ships, use some of your assets and get that type of player. And that's obviously changed. And now, do I believe there will be a disgruntled star or a player on the block at some point by June? Yeah, I do. I believe that will happen. The NBA, there's just a lot of moving moving pieces. Um, In terms of winning games... I want the Knicks to win games. I want the Knicks to win games because I want to see them win first and foremost. I know that it then helps the process kind of chug along a little bit more efficiently. You can still have some turnover and still have the winning part of it. But the reason I don't have need as that is because there is still the side of me that looks at this team that is poised to make a superstar trade without having a superstar on the roster and you hope that these players have a superstar on their own talent or potential but that's also just very much a matter of opinion you know we've talked about in the past superstar know it when you see it and when you look at this team you could project but as of right now there's certainly no one who fits that caliber and so the reason I think that winning to me is not a need is because I then look at the draft I look at the lottery I don't believe the Knicks will finish ridiculously far in the end of the season standings. But I also weigh the pros and cons of, all right, you're talking about a loaded draft class, which could obviously change, but that's the way that a lot of the best talent evaluators seem to feel. If you are even like with the seventh pick, how are you doing? If you find a way to move up in the lottery, well, great. You didn't have to lose games, but you certainly helped your odds if you didn't happen to win those games. So it's perfect. So it's very much of a kind of hedging my bets, so to speak, where I feel like ideally you want them to win, but it's not like there's not an efficient safety net that helps them. Because I think the strongest part of the Knicks in a lot of ways is their drafting abilities. Oh, for sure. It becomes problematic is how you find the time to maximize the potential and the asset value of those players, both on the team and as potential trade chips. So that's my number five. It's a good number five. I, I have a wins related one, but it is different enough from what you just said that I'm going to save it. Uh, And instead I will turn to my number five, which as I said, I had a few different ideas for what would be the last on this list is what I ultimately went with. I think this will be a successful season if a Nick is in the all-star conversation. And I don't mean like on the periphery of the all-star conversation. I mean, uh, I'll get my drink ready. Like the low post that he does with, I think I forget if it's Pelton or Arnovitz, um, where they really go through the cases in depth. I think he also usually does one of these with Herring too, although I might be confusing that with all NBA. He definitely does with all NBA with Herring. Anyway, um, I'm not talking about like someone who gets mentioned at the end of the episode of like, yeah, there's just some other names that I at least looked up their stats. No, no, no. I'm talking about the let's really have a discussion as to whether or not this guy is like, we're coming down to last spot or last two spots and it's down to four guys, five guys. I think a Nick needs to be in that conversation. And I left it vague because I'm, I'm open to it being anybody, even Julius Randle. I think there, I, again, I, I think there are complications that might come with that. Um, but 
I'd be fine if it was him. I think the guy who it is most likely to be is Jalen Brunson. And I'm not, that's not disparaging RJ Barrett. I have an RJ Barrett thing coming up um, a little bit later, but if I'm just envisioning a world where they sign Brunson for effectively $26 million a year and 20 or 30 games into that contract, people around the league be like, Oh, this guy's, is he a max player that they got for four for one Oh four? That's pretty good. Um, like I'd love to be able for, I'd love for that conversation to take place. And that conversation would take place if he is legitimately in the all-star conversation, but I would be happy if it was anyone. So that's my, that's my number five. I think it would be an important step forward for the franchise for where they're at. Um, and it would certainly validate this summer in a lot of ways, almost regardless of who it was. Right. Cause like whether it's Brunson was Barrett, whether, even if it's Randall was presuming he's here, I think it would validate their decision-making process to a certain extent. So I think that would be good. Yeah. I would say that it's not that RJ Barrett making the all-star game would not validate the process. It would, well, <laughs> he didn't, but here's the thing. The Knicks did not draft RJ Barrett. They are playing a key role in developing him. No doubt. You mean this, sorry, this front office. Yes. With the exception of, uh, I think it's just Perry, right? He's the one that's left. Pretty much yeah. for, the, for the top brass, it seems. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, like Jalen Brunson, he was obviously Leon Rose's guy, brought him in here. He is a 26-year-old point guard who is very good. He yeah. will have the ball in his hands quite a lot. He has not, at this point in his career, missed a lot of time outside of one shoulder injury. But for the most part, he has been a very consistent contributor. I think even with Randall, you know, obviously Steve Mills and Scott Perry brought Randall to New York by signing him, Randall still was extended. And so now it's kind of like the shift has gone over to this front office. Mm-hmm. It's tra- transfer of power, so to speak, in terms of who has the ownership of whether this is good or bad. And I think if Julius Randall does make the all-star team, which again, I know there are plenty of people who would be saying, come on, like, yeah, I get it. I, I hear you. And they're going to be a smaller faction, but nonetheless, um, vocal minority, so to speak, of fans who would be like, yeah, just let him buy into the role. I don't know. Okay. Like where you can maybe find him fit, right? And that's where it's then a validating of that process. Yeah. Again, it's, it's not that RJ wouldn't. It's just you have two players who are in the prime of their careers or entering it who are just further along. So I'm just looking through the standings right now. I, I could probably sit here right now and make cases for uh, t- at least 25 players to make the all-star team in the East. But and records do matter. They absolutely do. With the, with the all-star, at least, yeah. But the interesting thing here is, like, especially now with the play-in, is I, I almost feel like if, you're a, if your team is at least hanging around the play-in, which by, by the time the voting comes around, is probably going to be all but like two or three teams in the East. And those two, two or three teams, I'm not sure, other than Cade, like if, maybe if Cade just absolutely storms out of the gate, I'm not sure if any of those have a real, I mean, you want to say Halliburton? I, I don't know. He'd have to put up some bonkers numbers. But like, other than Pacers, Pistons, and Magic, like all of those other, those other 12 teams, as long as they're hanging around, like even the Wizards, let's say the, when the voting starts, the Wizards are like two or three or four games under 500. Like that might be enough if Beal's having a nice year. I think it's going to be tough. Um, yeah. Beal, LaMelo. Murray, Young, my Murray, I mean, oh, sorry, Mitchell, all made it last year. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you're number four. 
So my number four is, uh, and this is more, I think it's more important than just desiring it. I think it needs to come to fruition in some manner. So there's a need. We're already in needs bill yes. here. And it, you know, it might flip back and forth. It might not just be needs through and through. It's like your plant child needs water. Exactly. It doesn't want water. It, it probably does want well, water. Oh, it definitely does. It definitely it needs water. water. Right. So uh, my need here is that Jalen Brunson and Emmanuel quickly share enough time on the floor together. Because Hold on. Jalen Brunson and Emmanuel quickly share. Okay. The reason I need it is because, and, and you highlighted this in the newsletter as well, there is a path for Emmanuel quickly, but so much of it is predicated on Derek Rose being injured, which is not exactly an unsafe bet, just given Derek Rose's history and, and, and injuries. But it's the sort of thing where, okay, you have Jalen Brunson and you do have Quentin Grimes, but Emmanuel quickly gives you the opportunities that you need, especially in the fourth quarter. And we have seen this through and through. And so if you trust Emmanuel quickly, but you don't trust him as a lead point guard, and you've just invested all this money in Jalen Brunson, Brunson's going to continue to be there in in crunch time. For sure. You could then say, all right, well, there's Grimes, there's Rose, there's quickly. I hear all of that. To me, if you're looking at like the, the five you want on the floor at the end of the night, I see what you're going. My with personal this. preference is Brunson and quickly. And I think that by being able to have them play together, I understand that there's a little bit of a, of an issue with size there. hundred percent. With that being said, the shot creation that each provides, I think can create a lot less pressure on the rest of the team. And you can find a way to make it work because we've seen time and time again, that we know with quickly it works. And you bring Brunson there because you know you can factor him into the situation and, and have him be there too. And quickly can do fine off ball. So that's why I'm, you know, it's a shame that it feels like the only opportunities that this likely happens are at the end of games. But that's just the position that the Knicks are in where they have Quentin Grimes. They happen to have Derek Rose, even when he's healthy. So, I mean, especially when he's healthy. As a complete aside, what percentage chance would you give it that Emmanuel quickly? is the starter on opening night between Jalen Brunson and RJ Barrett. 10%. Oh, wow. You're being, I put it at like 2%. Yeah. I mean, it's really the only, I think the reason I have it as 10% is in the event that uh, Quentin Grimes is hurt. Oh, if someone's hurt. Okay. I mean, assuming everybody's healthy, I have it at like 2%. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm just, it's, I'm so happy you said this because this is not the fact that Brunson being here essentially not completely takes the op- takes the possibility of quickly closing games and like throws it into the shitter. It kind of, in a lot of ways, does. And I had not thought about that until literally right now. Um, so I get this being a need for you. Um, you know, it's a little different, but it's a good transition. So I'm gonna I'm gonna skip ahead to my number three, which was really kind of tied to my number four. So what the hell? I just, I'll make this my number four anyway. This is good 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 transition. And I kind of am cheating a little bit because I'm, I'm leaving this very well. You'll see. The Knicks will have a successful season if one of Emmanuel Quickly or Obi Toppin is in the conversation again. Legitimate conversation, not some Yahoos on on Twitter saying, "Oh, give this guy this amount of money." Legitimate conversation for an extension that will pay them twenty million dollars a year in annual money, based on what they have done this season, and. I was I when we when I thought of this exercise, my mind immediately went to quick and my mind immediately went to Obi. 
And I started thinking of all the different possibilities of like, okay, should I do a thing where it's Obi's minute? Should I do a thing about how much Obi and Randall share the floor together? Should I do a thing about like they trade Randall to get Obi more time? Should I do something again, like with quickly not sharing the floor with Derek Rose or closing games, like whatever it is, there's so many different ways you go about it. At the end of the day, they just need to show enough that we could look at them and say, this is a player who gets essentially the, the, the contract extension Kelvin Johnson just got because I wasn't at a flat four for 80. Uh, I believe there's a, dis- uh, yeah, but it, it's maybe it's, okay, not, it's not yeah, flat. It, it was four for 80. Right. Yes. Which um, for next year's cap, the equivalent of that would actually be like four for 85 or 86 or something. But let's, so a hair below Kelvin Johnson. Um, if one of those two guys is in that category of player, where it's like, okay, you know, and maybe they don't actually sign for that. Maybe they sign for a few million less than that or whatever. But that to me will 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 say that they have done something this season that leaves like no doubt about, okay, this is a this is a core piece to what we want to do moving forward. Or at the very least, if they're not a core piece for what we want to do moving forward, we feel so good about this number and investing in them for this amount of years that we know that if they're not going to be here, we're going to be able to get something damn good for them moving forward. Um, and of course, there is a little voice in the back of my brain saying, well, I, I didn't say that they had to get that extension with the Knicks. So I guess I'm leaving the door open that they get traded and then somebody else gives them that extension. But then in that scenario, theoretically, they will have gotten traded for value. So even that you could turn around and be like, well, you know, I, I guess that's a good thing. So I, again, I'm leaving it vague. But that's that's where I'm at. So that was, um, it's that's like tied my three four. I'll get to the other one next. So is that more of a need or a want in your mind? That's a big want. I okay. I can't. It, I I can't put it in the need category only because I think there is a world where they get through this season, and we we are looking back at it and it is a success and neither of those players are in that conversation. I think there is a world, although I, I admit it would probably be difficult. I'm glad you said that. Cause if you had said need, I would have actually been pushing back. Okay. Just okay. in the sense of, because while it's great to have extensions, the same way how the Knicks could still play out that fourth year. And then they hit restricted free agency in a way where we've seemed to hear that, they could have done that with RJ Barrett, but they decided sure. let's just lock him up, but get the Charlie Ward curse done. But I hear you. It's and more it's, about it's the level big... of play, forcing the issue, basically forcing the next hand. Like, wow, these guys are so good and they're willing to sign for this. And it's a good number. We like it. They like it. Like, let's like it's the pushing of the, the, the hand, so to speak. Okay. Well, so in that case, let me flip my third and second. Okay. And my third is now the need to create minutes for Obi Toppin. Okay, I love it. So the way Do you I have see a number is, in mind, that's the trouble. <laughs> that, I don't, isn't that the trouble, Jeremy? And because isn't Anthony is here, I cannot, I cannot provide a solution that I think works. And we can talk about how. All right, well, it's it's incumbent upon the front office to take away certain players so that they are off the table completely, and you don't have to worry about it. Given that. The Knicks, the players that the Knicks have right now are still on the team at this very moment. I'm just going to go with that mindset. And 
That's the thing. I don't know how he's going to do it because of how he operates, how he needs 48 minutes of rim protection, how he views Julius Randle as a good player, how he knows that Obi Toppin needs more minutes, but then it's cutting into Julius Randle's minutes. So I don't really, I shouldn't say I don't care how Tom Thibodeau finds minutes for Obi Toppin because I do, but it's a different conversation because it's incumbent upon the front office in order to create a more ideal solution so that Tibbs is not the one who has to delegate who gets this and this amount of minutes, who gets that amount. So um, he's got to find a way. It's not my problem for him to find the way. It's his problem. No, he's it is head coach of this team. Well, it's him and, and the front uh, office's problem together. It's the front office. Yes, sure. But if the front office is committed to having everyone who is on the team currently still be on the team, especially before the season, then it's Tibbs' problem. And Tibbs' problem is one that he's got to sort out. And it's not one I envy. It's not a position I envy right now. So I think if you're a reasonable Knicks fan, do, 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 do those of us exist? I don't, I'm not that. I'd like to think uh, so. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm many things. A reasonable man is not one of them. Um, I think 20 is the number that if you're like, I want to shoot for something without setting myself up for like obvious disappointment. I think 20 is the number, and uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to do it again. Uh, Zach mentioned this on the pod he had with Ian, where it could be as simple as three minutes a half where he shares the floor with Julius. And I think it's even simpler than that. It's because, and I'm going to throw something else out there after I get done with this point, but Mitch and Randall. I, that's never really worked great. And I, don't, I still don't think it works great. I have no reason to think it's going to work right now. You get Mitch out of there and you sub in Obi for Mitch and you run with that for basically as long as it, as long as it looks good. And then you obviously sub out Randall and you put in Hartenstein and then you go from there. And I think at the end of the day, you can still get Julius his 32 a night. Which I again, I'd love to say Julius Randle plays thirty minutes a game. Julius Randle plays twenty eight minutes a game. Again, I'm not, I'm trying not to set myself up for disappointment here. That's really where this is coming from. This is not what I want. This is me trying not to get disappointed. If it if he's at thirty two, that leaves sixteen, and or excuse me, that doesn't leave sixteen. That leaves fourteen. No, it leaves sixteen. Sorry, it leaves sixteen. So that's only two minutes a half. And if it's three minutes a half, that gets up to 22. So maybe my number should be 22, 20 to 22, something in that range. The only other thing I'll throw in there, and I have a whole newsletter coming out um, on Monday about this, so I'm not going to go deep into it, is there is one more player that could get traded, and he can't get traded until January 15th. That could open up minutes for Obi Toppin, and that's Mitchell Robinson. I know you've thought about this because you've thought about this. Well, you've thought about trading Mitch on his next contract two years ago. <laughs> I've thought about trading Mitch on on his last contract. Like, no, no, but you've already thought about it. Sure. Of course. But it's but the thing is, it's it's not trading Mitch to create more playing time for Randall and Obi. It's, it's the idea it, of if you're trading. Mitch it's embracing Robinson, the notion of small ball. Well, but no, that's, but that's not, that's not where I've come from at least. Okay. My where position, are you coming from? My position with Mitch. And a lot of it is dependent upon how good Hartenstein is yeah. and the ability for Sims to play, you know, what? 18 minutes a night. How about just 20, 20 just minutes be a, a night? Be a serviceable. Right. And that's it. In terms player. of just being a good backup. So there's yeah. not a steep drop. And we saw Sims. We saw that there is potential for him to it. 
at least be, or, you know, probably be that quality backup, which is a Completely damn agree. good outcome for the 58th pick. And that's totally fine by me. It's just a matter of how Hartenstein's going to be. And so the thing with Mitch that I've thought about is more, how do you turn Mitch into a player who is either at the, presumably given where we're at with the Knicks, uh, the two, three, or the four. And the, the problem with that is that if you say, well, how can you trade Mitch for a better player at the two? It's well, okay, but that's where Quentin Grimes and Emmanuel quickly should be playing. I mean, Emmanuel quickly should be playing on ball more as well, but regardless, you know, okay. Uh, sure. What about the three? Well, that's where RJ plays. Okay. What about the four? Well, that's where Obi plays. And it's like, yes, I, I, I know that I'm making up this conversation in my head, but I also know that if I were to say this generally, that that would be some sort of pushback that Knicks fans might have. There's always going to be a younger player that Knicks, that Knicks fans want to fill that role long-term. And I respect it. I but what if it's not internally? About the, what if about if it's the not case. the player he's bringing back? What if it's more about one, opening up the salary and two, bringing back another future asset? It's That's the thing. It's also definitely possible where if you yeah. trade him for expiring salary and some sort of pick, then that's great. The only thing is that historically centers have not yielded. That is really correct. Future assets. They've been traded much more frequently as like very good salary filler when they are very good players and a returning player as who who you want to keep long-term. So that's where it also gets trickier with Mitch, but we don't have to talk about that right now. No, we don't. don't. I don't see him as, as the, face of the trading Mitchell Robinson at some point uh, foundation, I'd like to say my mission, or my core value has never been about like getting him out there to usher in small ball, because I know as long as Tom Thibodeau is here, he's just not going to go to that point. Well, and Mitchell Robinson is a good center who should be doing what he does here. It's just a matter of if you can bring someone else at a different position in who is, you could say the same position. I don't, I just don't think the Knicks view the center position that way. So um, yeah, just finding someone who can provide you with more on ball creation as well, or at least more spacing, hopefully similar defense in some capacity, but that's a, that's a shit. That's a conversation. conversation conversation Um, I'll just, again, I'm not going to spoil the newsletter, but I'll just say that what if perhaps Tom Thibodeau was not the coach for this entire season? I'll just leave it at that. It's a lot easier. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My number three, which was my number four, but I flipped it. Um, This is a pretty simple one. I think this is a successful season if you have moved either Julius Randle or Evan Fournier as a neutral asset 
by the deadline, which is to say, essentially, someone is willing to take on their contract. Not they're not giving you anything good. They're basically giving you an expiring contract. Uh, and can you do that? And as of now, it would seem that you cannot do that with either player. And is there a world where the Knicks are able to to pull that off? Um, if they could do it with one or the I, again, I'm leaving these vague because it's like I don't want to be too rigid. Like they must trade Julius Randle. No, maybe that maybe it's far more untenable to trade Julius Randle right now that I'm than I'm imagining. And maybe there are other things playing out behind the scenes that I'm not aware of. And I'm totally open to that. But the notion that they would go into free agency with both of those guys still on the roster, I guess something about that just doesn't sit right with me. Again, it's a want. It's a very, I really want this. I, I don't think it's a need. I do really want it though. So that transitions into my second, point, okay. which is, it's a little different, but it's, it's a want. It's not a need as well. It's that the Knicks trade one of Evan Fournier, Derek Rose, Julius or Julius Randall. Okay. Before the season starts. Um, the reason wow. I, Whoa, so this is coming in hot. Well, potentially, but this is why it's a want, not a need. Before uh, the season starts. Yes. Again, I don't, I don't necessarily see it happening. The reason I don't see it happening. Trades like this are, they don't happen that frequently before the trade, before the season starts. It's much more often where these teams kind of hold on to these players, let yeah. it play out. And then it all shakes out, which is why I, I don't, foresee it happening. I think that there will be 11 players deserving of rotation minutes at the very least. And eventually at least one of them will get hurt and that will open the door for a player like Cam Reddish. The only thing that I'm trying to figure out is, okay, well, Brunson has shown consistent health. Fournier played 80 games last year. Julius Randle has been a very healthy player throughout his career, except for the very first game and season of his NBA career. Doesn't even count. Derek Rose is going to see time and then he's going to miss time because of the injuries that we talked about and that we just don't know. And then you also think about, all right, well, there's Deuce McBride, you know, players are unfortunately going to be down with COVID and that will be down for the count. There will be sprains. It's like RJ Barrett. We saw him miss time because of his ankle and, and yeah. you know, whatnot. So Grimes, who would have thought it, it will happen. Yeah, These doors will point. open, which is why as much as I would love to see a set 10 man rotation that the Knicks would have going into the season, I understand that there will be enough injuries that accumulate where someone like Cam Reddish will get his shot. It just sucks that we're talking about it as on the condition of this happening because the front office was unable to create an opportunity for the player that they traded a protected first round pick for. Can I ask you a question? Is there a reason why you did not have that want be uh, Rose Fournier Randall or Reddish? In terms of, Oh yes. As like, because, before the season. So similarly to you, I have viewed Reddish as an asset play for a while. The first instinct I think as well was like, all right, the Knicks want to buy in on him and they feel like if they're operating over the cap, he's good salary. You can have a good player there. Like it, it makes sense. Which they won't need to worry about right now, by the way, because they're set to be over the cap. Right. Even if you take away his cap hold. Just barely. Which, but they yes. Are. But which actually ushers in the conversation that I wanted to get to that oh, I was oh. going to weave into things and, and try to get to where we're at. I can't wait to this. So I know this week has been for Nick's film school and, and for the newsletter, the podcast, the trade Julius Randall week, part 
two, three, seven. I I don't know. It, 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 we're, we're wrapping up one of the, the weeks that we've done on this. So I've been thinking about, I've been listening to everything and reading things and getting, just seeing thoughts in general. And I feel as though I haven't been doing a good job personally of understanding what the Knicks want, right? Because there are all these different scenarios that get thrown out here. We talk about fit. We talk about what makes sense on the basketball court and all that. But the one thing that I feel like kind of has not been, there hasn't been enough time talked about. And I've mentioned a little bit before, but not enough where I feel like talking about it right now okay. is we know the Knicks would like to move Julius Randle. What yes. we don't know is what they would like to move him for. And then we've talked about players that could come back or players can go out. And it all goes back to everyone's favorite conversation, which is that the next time the Knicks are entering a new salary cap, are they going to try to operate over the salary cap or <laughs> under the salary cap? Right? Because there's a very big difference between trading Julius Randall for, and you know, Deuce McBride yeah. salary sake for Gordon Hayward versus trading Julius Randall to a team like Phoenix for, um, Jay Crowder and Dario Sharch. Our expiring like, contract. You, you acquire two different things, but it's what I've been trying to figure out too is I remember at a certain point, Fred Katz talked about how the Knicks want to make some sort of splash. I don't know if he wrote it. I don't know if he said it on the podcast. I don't know if he tweeted it, but he had mentioned it and he, he talked about a splash in 2023. And it confused me because the front <sighs> office, like the, the free you agents that are available. You're going to blow up my newsletter. Keep going. <laughs> Just might. The free agents that are available in 2023 are not great. You know, like J James Harden's not going to be a possibility. It's not going to be Kyrie Irving. Draymond Green is not coming here. Chris Middleton's resigning. Fred Van Vliet, like, you know, it's, it's whatever. It's like you can go through the list. Right. And then I've just been thinking about the players that are available. Am I really going to like blow up everything you've gotten? You've got so far? Not everything. It's just, okay. to me, there's just, there's only one name well, that's a name that's potentially, interesting. Potentially. Maybe it might not be the same name. I'll present okay. my name. Uh, maybe. We'll see. And apologies if this does blow up your newsletter, but this is my, but the uh, is my word letter. More, so uh, more than just this. So it's okay. Yeah. All right. So um, I've been trying to figure out, thinking about the deals and all these things that work. And I just, I agree. I don't see these players being moved before the season, the crazier things have happened. But the thing that's really stuck with me is why are the Knicks or why were the Knicks interested in getting Russell Westbrook's contract? Because the only reason you do that goes back to the philosophy of they want cap space. Okay. But why do they want cap space? Because even if you extricate, you know, a couple guys, you're still dealing with, for example, like let's say you move Julius Randall in a trade, right. And mm -hmm. you get back only expiring money. You're still dealing with Evan Fournier. You're still dealing with Cam Reddish's cap hold, and you're still dealing with uh, some rookies that you might have. Okay. So if you, if you take if you the rookie salaries matter, putting the rookie salaries aside because as we as we saw, that's what the Knicks did this this draft. If you put the rookie salaries aside and you take away Reddish's cap hold, I think that would just removing Julius gives them something like twenty three or twenty four to spend, assuming they pick up everybody else's. All the other rookies options. So it, yeah, give or take. I mean, let's say you remove Cam from the equation. It's like there's no cap space, right? And let's say you then remove Julius Randle, and then yeah, you're closer to twenty million dollars. And then another possibility is you move Evan Fournier for not necessarily expiring salary, but like similar money but less. That would create more cap space. Sure. And you know, like as all these things happen, I just keep thinking like, well. Again, why is it that the Knicks would do this? Why are they committed to it? 
And I just like, again, sorry if this is the player, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to speak it into existence per se. I'm just, I'm Say his name. it is September and it has been talked about and it has weirdly been mentioned. Andrew Wiggins. That's the name. So here's the thing about Andrew Wiggins. That's fascinating to me. And one thing I've kept uh, stock on as well. And again, I'm, I'm very sorry, John. I am. It's, listen, but, it's, but at, the, it's at the, the tail the end of the newsletter right. as, as people will see. So like two months ago, maybe three months ago, Joe Lacob went on a podcast and he talked about how exorbitant the payroll is. It's really hard for the Warriors to keep everyone together. And he said, and I'm quoting here, uh, he said it would be a problem and extremely, extremely difficult to deal with the salary situation that is extending Jordan Poole and paying Andrew Wiggins. And so then if you're the Knicks and you're thinking about, well, okay, if they are set on trying to create cap space, there's only one player then that makes sense given what they are looking for. At a max, at a max slot, I could. Well, it wouldn't see even them, be a max slot. That's the well, thing. You you don't think someone out there would give Andrew Wiggins the max? As of this moment, I don't. But there aren't. A, okay. Like there, there are going to be teams that have cap space. How many of them are in the position where they want to commit a max contract to Andrew Wiggins is going to be smaller. And I don't think the Knicks are are able to necessarily give him a max. I, we can have this conversation. Uh, well, we, I'm sure we will. We 100% will. But so it's... Unless he extends thinking, before the season. It's thinking about all of this, right? And then I go back to the Julius Randle trade situations that we've talked about. And I feel like if we have to use these reporters as some sort of a guide to help us along the way, you know, we could talk about how... What Katz is saying. We could talk about... I believe Ian Begley has mentioned at some point about... Andrew Wiggins. Uh, that, that's my understanding. I, I thought it was on the low post. It wasn't. I've seen it tweeted out there that it's a possibility that he has said something about it. Ian obviously chooses his words very carefully. Yep. And the other thing that kind of came to light was Jake Fisher. And this past week, Jake Fisher talked about how the Lakers don't want to take on long-term salary. They want Kyrie. Uh, they don't necessarily want to send Russ home. They want him in the right role because if they feel he's productive in that role, then they're not He's not being traded as an albatross. He's being traded as an expiring salary. I mean, good luck with that. But it brings us to a more fascinating conversation, which is that the Lakers clearly seem to want Kyrie Irving, and they don't even have max cap space to give that to him. No. So it's fascinating that they would want to go this route. Who knows what the deal with Kyrie and the Nets is? You know, the following summer. But it's that sort of thing because. Then you can rule out Cam Reddish as well, because if they're committed to creating cap space, they're not going to want Cam Reddish because of the fact that you're talking about the Lakers, the Lakers. Yes. Yeah. The Lakers will want to create more cap space and Cam Reddish will have a high cap hold because he's coming off the books. And so it just kind of all weaves into this giant Julius Randle type trade, which is where I'm getting back to the main point where if the Knicks are trying to create cap space, for next year. And the Lakers are trying to create cap space for next year. And the Suns want to be a team that improves upon whatever they're doing. And I thought I went into this summer just feeling like Julius Randle and DeAndre Ayton's not a great fit. I'm glad yeah. that Sam on the podcast feels differently. I don't know if a lot of other fans feel that way too. Music I don't know if to the Suns ears. feel that way. Right. But then it's, it's how do you find a way where you can theoretically trade someone like Julius to a team where you can accomplish like all parties can get what they want. And I feel like one of the framework type solutions is where Julius does at some point go to Phoenix. And then you have the expiring salaries of Crowder and Sharich going to LA 
Along with you have Westbrook going to New York. Yeah, you go. And to make the math work, yep, you get Derrick Rose to go to LA. And if we were talking about midseason, because again, I don't see this type of thing happening right now. But if it did, cool. That would be that would be fascinating. There's some sort of the pick compensation the that goes to the Knicks. Small, not not significant. You know, I don't know if it's two Lakers seconds. I don't know if it's a very heavily protected Lakers first. I, I, I'm not entirely sure. That's the sort of philosophy where if you're able to do that, even if it happened, let's say it happened before the season, right? You're then looking at a team because the Knicks wouldn't just buy out or waive rust. They would probably want to keep his contracts on the books because number one, they're paying him anyway. Number two, it doesn't make sense to have him as dead money. Number three, he takes up a roster spot, which actually isn't that significant because you need to fill roster spots. So it's, it's fine. I'm, and they wouldn't play him or anything, but just being on the team. So what I'm envisioning in this case is you've got Brunson, Grimes, Barrett, Toppin, Robinson, and you've quickly Fournier, Reddish, an open spot at the four, and Hartenstein. You have Westbrook, who's cast away somewhere. You've got McBride. You have Sims, and then you have two open roster spots, which you don't need to fill because you're over the minimum amount. The Knicks can keep those roster spots open to kind of take on like what they did with Denzel Valentine last year, for example. And then we yeah. talk about you know who that backup four is and. The mellow conversation rears its ugly. It's all about just getting mellow again. back here. It's all, right. it's, that's, it's all about. That was the whole reason. This whole conversation was actually just a way <laughs> for me to get it. mellow back here. Can but, I can I just pitch something though? Yeah. Uh, let me let me just wrap Finish up, but then I got it's, an idea. It's basically I don't know how all these things would fit long term, you know, with RJ, with Wiggins, with the trade. We know that the Knicks clearly don't view RJ as untouchable because they, they were trying to trade him for Donovan Mitchell. And you, we know that with a player like Andrew Wiggins, like they could still do a sign and trade based on how the math works. But the problem is then you're sending salary out to Golden State. It's got to go somewhere. So you're dumping money to a third team because the biggest problem with them is they don't want to take on the salary. We'll get into the Andrew Wiggins cap or no cap at a certain point. The trade would also not be Wiggins coming here this year because the Warriors are the defending champs and they're in win now mode. So why oh, they're, would not, they do they're not that? trading. Yeah. No. And they have players in the wings like Moody and hopefully Kaminga who can kind of fill that void. I so Kaminga is the, the name you're looking for there. So it's just a long winded way of saying, I would like for at least one of these players to be traded before the season. I also recognize that that's not likely to happen, but at a certain point down the line at the deadline, if the Knicks are trying to position themselves for this type of situation, that's how they do it. They get uh, expiring contracts. The Lakers get expiring contracts. The Suns change up their teams a little, their team a little bit, trading out two rotation pieces that are expiring and probably not coming back as Crowder doesn't seem to want to be there. And Sharich is just probably not going to return anyway into a longer term piece of Julius Randle. They could always flip DeAndre Ayton, not to Indiana this year, but any other team after I believe January 15th. There are ways out from the do it if they wanted to. But that's kind of like how all of it would have to work. Two things. One, I don't know why more hasn't been made of the possibility that the Lakers trade away the 2027 first with significant protections, because if the whole idea for them is they want to keep the option open to trade away multiple firsts that will have extraordinary value to the team that they are trading away those firsts to, if you top 18 protect the first and then the Lakers want to turn around and I, don't really give a shit what they think they're going to do, but six months from now, they have an opportunity to trade for a, a star and they could whatever they flip, whatever they're getting in this trade. And, and uh, they could still do 27, the 
zero to 18 or one to 18 or one to 17. And as long as if the pick that if the, if the initial pick that they've traded away, the top 18 protected, as long as that converts to two seconds, which they could do, they could still make that trade, that second trade that I'm talking about, where it's the 27, one to 18 and the 29. And if they could, I mean, hell, they could throw in a flip, a switch swap in 28 if they wanted to. That's one thing. And I wonder if that's something that maybe the Knicks would angle towards, even if they had to give away, you know, one like some seconds to get that protected first in the door. Maybe, maybe a second goes to Phoenix, maybe another second goes to LA. I don't know. That's one. Number two, here's the thing about Andrew Wiggins. Is he your second star? No. But if you, Add Andrew Wiggins to a core that includes R.J. Barrett and Jalen Brunson. I bet you, I could certainly talk myself into it. I bet you the Knicks can too. Talk themselves into okay. Now we're one guy away because with those three here, if it's the right number, if it's the right one guy, that's good enough. And I bet you you could figure with the way the cap is rising. I bet you you could figure out a way to swing that sort of trade, which is why I think the idea of just signing Andrew Wiggins in free agency is something that, as you very well expressed, I think is something that will become very appealing to them. If I had to guess, I don't have any. One thing before I I have you go in the way I see it with the whole under the cap, over the cap, fool me once, shame on you. (laughs) Fool me twice. Shame on me. So (laughs) I love it. Um, What am I up to? Oh yeah, this is, this is going to be a full one. My number two, um, you said win games, right? That's mm-hmm. your, there was number five. Here's my number two. This is a need. Don't win between 31 and 39 games. <laughs> you want to go after it, guys? You want to get in that play? You want to be a feisty play-in team? You want to maybe win a play-in game? You want to put a, a scare into like a top seed? By all means, I'll embrace that. Hundred percent, and I'll never say never say sorry for embracing it. You want to tank the shit out of this baby and win 30, 29, 28, and really get yourself in the sweepstakes with a real chance to move up, or at the very least, end up somewhere in that five, six, seven, eight range. And from what I understand, doing a little bit of preliminary research on this draft, it's like you're going to have eight guys. You know, obviously, there's the top two in Victor and Scoot, but after that, there's there's another five, six, seven that really is legit. Just don't, just don't win 35 games. Can we, can we, can we do that? Can we figure out a way to, to not do that? That's my number two. And I need them to do this. This is a need. This isn't a want. This is a need. That's, That's fair. All. You know, you either, you don't want to be in like quote unquote middle, you know, purgatory. Mediocrity. But I mean, you could, you could make an argument that like, yeah, being 42 and 40, isn't that, Similar, maybe, but at if least this at that team point, goes you're out. The, you're in the win. You're probably in the playoffs, or hopefully, depending on how the East is. Like I, I know this Knicks team has gotten better, but I also would be foolish not to recognize that the East has gotten better. But that's and that the West has all gotten better. And but so that's the Knicks, why, right? If if this team in this Eastern Conference wins forty, or, they don't even need to go five hundred. If they win forty or more games, something will have gone. Multiple somethings will have gone really right. For for that to happen, and those multiple somethings can only, I think, have positive trickle down effects. So, yeah, and you know, I mean, the hope. biggest the biggest fear I would say for fans thinking in that similar mindset is that 
it can almost be like last year's Julius Randle on this year's team could confine them to that, that point where like you could make an argument that you take away Julius Randle, that the Knicks are a better team. You could make an argument that they are a worse team. I don't think either is ridiculous to be quite honest, but I think it at least takes you into one of the categories, which is below 31 and the other takes you above four. Like you could, I could see it either way. Okay. Might be some pushback depending on what your viewpoint is, but the, the, look, there are, are there we've scenarios. The good, we've seen the Jekyll and Hyde of, of Julius, yeah. so it's hard to know what that middle ground is. Julius could always screw things up. Andrew has a follow-up question, I believe. Does playoff success matter in this scenario for you? Um, I think if they were the seventh, let's. Uh, I think it depends. I think if they made the top six seed, I don't really think it would matter. Okay, if they were the seventh seed and lost two playing games and went home. I think that might matter. It's what I'm specifically asking because and look, all basketball seasons are created different. So to compare one to the other yeah. is not fair, but like the, the Hornets went 43 and 39 and then got blown out in the play in and like it didn't, their season didn't matter. And they fired their coach. The Pelicans went 36 and 46 yeah, and were like this revelation love love story throughout the playoffs. So if they, they were made. to win 30, but like my point being is that sure. The Knicks okay. are 36 and 46, but that's the 10 seed, but they, they got in the bulls that okay. they surprised like sure. Playing, does the success of the play of the past yes. and the yes. playoffs matter more than the records? There are other than being the fourth seed and losing in five games. Yeah. And the takeaway was still, yeah. it was a great season. We needed yeah. that. There, Even if, even if the, the people who had pushed back and say the Knicks should have lost games, like and I'm not even saying that's that's the wrong philosophy, but like that still propelled the Knicks into a conversation that was they're building something here. Problem is that it backfired a little bit last year. Hopefully they can right the ship. But yeah, you you do a good job, at least do something exciting, you're gonna be looked at in a slightly different way. The the spirit of this question speaks to the breaking bad analogy I had last year. So I love yes. it. I'm just yeah. saying like if they win 38 games, but it's the 10 seed and they win two playing games. Sure. That's a successful season, but I'm, I'm it's semantics. I get just like, just like if they win 36 games and they go from 10 or nine or 11 to two or three or one in the lottery. I, again, it's an asterisk, but right. you, you get the, you get the sense. I get it. Yeah. Well, the other fun thing, by the way, about the whole, like if the Knicks are trying to create cap space for a player like Andrew Wiggins, the worst that they do the better their pick, but the better their pick, the higher the salary well, and cap listen. hold, which like that would be a great position to be in, right? Like, oh no, the Knicks can't find a way to sign Andrew Wiggins because they have because they have Victor Wembanyama. Yeah, you know what? I will swallow uh, <laughs> that one. Yeah. Uh, all right, we have reached the finish line. Uh, Jeremy, you're number one. I don't know if it's really my number one. It's just like I knew the other ones would be called ahead of time, but I think okay. this is this is important, and this actually is a need of mine. Although it could be potentially a want, but I'm going to go with need. I need Quentin Grimes to show me why the hell he was untouchable in a Donovan Mitchell. This is good. That's good. Because this is nothing against Quentin Grimes. He is not the one who is inserting himself into trade conversations or not. But it's fine if you are the Knicks and you see him as a really good player. But the fact that there's so much, it, it almost feels unanimous based on how like what we've heard from the front office in terms of the offers and what we've heard from Tom Thibodeau about how he loves Grimes, that there is just 
universal praise for him. And it's not Jeremy, that I don't Don, get it. Don, Don I do Mitchell get it. would be a Nick if the, the organization wasn't, I, from what we all gather, universally high on this kid. And it's fine that they are, but I need to know why. And this is this is a reason <laughs> where if he's being featured, especially as the starting guard, because as we've talked about, it seems like when Tibbs is saying, you know, there's one player that he would, one veteran, he would move out of the rotation. Like, yeah, it's obviously Fournier because he wants to see Quentin Grimes because he doesn't want to have a repeat of a Kemba Walker Fournier type situation where listen, Brunson gives more effort than Kemba Walker did, especially with Kemba Walker's knees at the age of 31. So that I already feel a little bit better on, but still there needs to be a little bit more um, give and take from the offense defense perspective. And that's where Quentin Grimes fits in. It's why I expect him to be the starting two guard as the season opens, even with a healthy Evan Fournier, but you can't just have him be like this plug and play like pure three and D archetype player. I need to see more from, I need to see more creation. I need to make sure that the the, um, point of attack defense that he is providing is incredibly stout and fantastic. There needs to be a way for it to, from him going from, this is a really good pick at 25 to, I wouldn't include him in a trade for a top 20 player and arguably a top 10 offensive player in the NBA. So I would very much like to see him blossom and I need for him to do it because Again, as we talked about with the front office last week, it's I'm at DEFCON 3. I feel like the development of Quentin Grimes, and for all these players, but the development of Quentin Grimes because of the fact that they were so adamant about not including him in the trade makes me feel like he's got to take that step forward. And it, ha- it can't just be a smaller step. It has to be, there has to be tangible and noticeable growth there. I, when I spoke to, um, his trainer a few months ago um, was working with him since he was in seventh grade. Uh, and uh, shout out uh, performance training. Um, the name that came up, a few names came up in that conversation. One of them was Des Bain, specifically in the context of the jump that Des Bain made from year one to year two. And Des Bain obviously had a very good rookie year that put him on the map a little, a lot more than it hit Quentin Grimes rookie year put him on the map um but the jump he made where now des bain is like i I mean i remember listening to the conversations on like different nba podcasts over the course of the season where it's like oh are we sure the grizzlies would trade des Des bain for like bradley beal uh not straight up but like include him in a package of what it would take or something like that that's where we that's the jump we need from quentin grimes uh there there can be no doubt after the season that they did the right thing here, which is a perfect transition to my number one. Look at that. RJ Barrett has to, has to make this guy. I'm holding up Crowen, Crowen Barrett Jr. He needs to make this guy a permanent member of the Macri household to the point that like Yash sends me like 10 more of these things. And it doesn't matter what room in my apartment I walk into. There's just going to be another crow staring at me in the face. Um, I have some specifics. I need RJ to do two of the following three things. You ready? Thing number one. He needs to shoot 60% in the restricted area. I I believe the first one. I believe. uh, Yeah, I believe last season he was at 54, maybe 55. He got up to something whereabouts. Shoot 60% in the restricted area. Like, you know. 60% 60% of all NBA players do 65% of all NBA wings do uh, you get there enough. You get fouled enough. 
If you shoot 60%, okay, that's one of the things. Number two, I'm a little off. I'm, I'm, I thought about making it four. I, I had to up it because this is, again, this is my number one. 4.5 assists for 36 minutes. So he's been at a pretty flat three, 3.1, 3.2, or whereabouts assists for 36 minutes since he came into the league. Has not really gone up in any measurable way. I need the playmaking to make a, a little bit of a leap. You know, um, I don't need, I don't need, you know, five, six assists. Just give me four and a half for 36. Um, and I should have looked this up beforehand. I didn't get to get a chance to. I believe he hit 27 pull up threes last year, uh, give or take one or two. I need that number to double and I need it to be at a 30% clip. Again, not asking him to hit 35, 36, 37% on pull-up threes. Just make him at a 30% clip and make at least double what you made this year. So let's call it 50. Make 50 pull-up threes at a 30% clip. If you give me two of those three things, I almost don't care what else he does. I don't like two of those three things. I'm going to be happy with RJ Barrett's season. I don't care what the final counting stats are. It's bullshit. Give me two of those three things. That's where that's what it's going to come down to for RJ making to me a leap in year four. So the assist part, I hear you. It it helps when the other guy makes, makes a shot. the shot, which has not been the easiest thing for the Knicks over the last ten or so years. Uh, it's fair. So it's fair. I, I'm with you. I agree. It just. It, it it's it's so reliant on other players that that would be my third of those three options. But yeah, the finishing and the pull up three percentage. I mean, I I actually feel like it needs to be higher than thirty because when you look at the legitimate threats in the NBA, they are high thirties. And I'm not saying RJ has to be a legitimate threat, but I think if you get him closer to thirty three percent, and it's it's a tough it's jump. It's the mix Believe of me. volume and accuracy. It, it absolutely it, is. Yeah. Right. You want him to take more shots, but you also want him to make them because if he's just taking them and he's missing them, then that also does hurt him. And like I've learned that off the dribble shooting and I mean last few years as I've studied more and more, off dribble shooting is so important in terms of Figuring out who stars are. Like, you can become it's a star right. and not doing it, but it's the, no. it's the separation it's in the, so many ways. There's there's one, I said this, I think, on a podcast the other day. There's one star perimeter player who's a star in the NBA today that that, that pull up uh, off the dribble shooting is not a part of his game at all. And it's Jimmy Butler, who is coincidentally or not the comp often mentioned for RJ Barrett. And that's why I said two of the three. If he's yep. a single pull up three this year, but he starts being a playmaker on drives and he starts making a lot of those shots on drives, I'll sign for it. I'll take it. Yeah, well, you know, when there's going to be a pick and roll and RJ's naturally, you know, the defense is going to go under because RJ is such a good threat to drive and he gets yeah. the foul calls a lot. And then he gets to the free throw line and he doesn't really hit them at the clip he wants to, which is why I would add a fourth caveat, which would be making his free throws because we know he's going to get to the line. <laughs> making those easy shots just would do such wonders for all for his numbers. For I'm not Knicks, as worried about the, I, like, it's, it's less worry. It's more just like, he's got to clean it up. He just like he has to clean it up. If he gets the line seven and a half times a game and he's hitting those free throws at like a 63% clip, then that's going to be a problem. But I'm assuming right. he's going to at least make 70% of his free throws, which again, if that's the number, that's the number, right? It's just, I'd like to see it 
go up. But if well, like a lot of things, Jeremy, sure, we, we don't always if, get if what the, we want. <laughs> if the defense is going to go under and expect him and dare him to shoot, then that's where he needs to do a better job with the pull up jumpers. And sure. that's why I would hope he's higher than 30% in year four of his career, because that will really unlock a lot because if he is suddenly an off the dribble threat, especially from deep, then you're not going to see these players going under as much. They're going to go over screens and then he has the ability to go downhill and then he can make more happen, which then ties into the playmaking abilities that you're talking about, which is then potentially finding like a Quentin Grimes type in the corner. Who's just patiently waiting for RJ Barrett to get him the ball. And he becomes one of the best catch and shoot players because that's what, Quentin Grimes did last year. He was one of the best catch and shoot players among qualified NBA players in the league. So the ability to just space the floor opens up so much. And if, if you think about RJ Randall and Mitch are about to enter year four together, right? I feel like we know the answer of what the, what they will be. And I keep expecting one of those three to not be there. And RJ's third on the list as opposed to Mitch and Randall in, in terms of likelihood that he's gone. But who knows? I mean, the, with this front office, you just maybe don't know. But they don't know. if there's going to be, if it's between Mitch and Randall, and obviously Randall seems like the candidate that most fans would want to move out of there, you need to create some sort of spacing. I don't know if Randall's going to do that. And Mitch certainly isn't you going just, to do that, no matter what his training videos that come out tell me. It's not going to happen. It's up to RJ to take that next step in year four of his career, which is why it's then so crucial for him to, in my opinion, be like that 33% type. You have to make a defense up. sweat. 100%. If, if we were to boil, well, of course, I'm going to end by saying his name. Why they wanted Donovan fucking Mitchell is because they know if you get Donovan, put all bullshit aside, Donovan Mitchell makes a defense sweat. All right. Right now, even with Jalen Brunson, Jalen Brunson makes defense sweat a little bit, but it's like, okay, he's going to, he's going to ding us for, you know, he's crafty. Yeah. Six out of 10 or seven out of 10 drives inside the arc. And then maybe he'll hit some spot ups too. You know, if there's someone else that could get him those spot ups, but there's no one still on the Knicks right now that really makes a defense sweat. And if RJ develops any kind of a pull-up game, like a real pull-up game, well, then there's your, then he makes, then, then uh, there's not enough crow. I don't know where this crow came from. They couldn't, they wouldn't be able to manufacture enough of these damn things for, to, to be around my house. Cause if he becomes an, an off the dribble threat, then there's your, I mean, there's your path to all NBA basically, but one step at a time, as it were. This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Andrew. John. Hey, uh, how you doing? I'm good. This was a, a hopeful episode of needs and wants. Aside from once again, the OB playing next to Randall conversation, rearing its ugly head, but you know, maybe beautiful he'll head. beautiful maybe, head of hair on that conversation. Yes. Maybe, maybe um, a tiger can change its stripes. You know, maybe we'll see something different this year. You're asking we shall a, see. 64, 65 year old Tom Thibodeau to change his stripes. Listen, I'm at the point where if he does it, I'll 
buy one of I'll buy John's crow and no, just like eat it myself. But it, I just it's, it's not to happening. the point where I legitimately wonder if they if you were presented with an like an ultimatum, like play these two players six minutes a game or you will be fired. I wonder if he would like turn if he truly didn't believe in it. I, I have no idea whether he does or he doesn't. If he truly didn't believe in it, I think he'd, he'd turn in his resignation before you, he. You don't know if after two seasons, you don't know if he does or he doesn't. I wonder if. Here's Look, what a lot of it comes down to. I, I, I've a lot been of it comes down before, to but, no. Obi Toppin's ability to serve as a rim protector to Tom Thibodeau's liking. A weak side rim protector specifically. Because he exactly. could just camp out on the corner. And then as long as he could get. It's basically being Rob Williams. From the for the Celtics, what he not that good of a version of it, obviously. But can you do some facsimile of what Rob Williams did for the Celtics, and also try to bridge the gap between what the Celtics were able to do with the offensive rebounding or just rebounding in general, and what the Knicks would try to accomplish with Randall and Obi on the floor? Sure, yeah, which I is mean, tough if you're Tibbs because you want 48 minutes of frame protection, you want to win the rebounding battle. And that will get you to where you need to go. And if you sacrifice a few minutes in his mind, being the word sacrifice, then it goes belly up and that could cause you to lose the game. Here's the other thing about, about it. Again, we're only, we're not talking about 10, 15 minutes a game. We're talking about like five minutes a game or six minutes a game. If, if it came amidst several substitution patterns and the other substitution patterns made it such that, they would play a switch everything defense for those that short stretch of minutes, and they could just camp Obi in the corner again as the weak side rim protector and switch everybody else on the floor. I think it could work, and I think you would buy into that. Again, I've been wrong, obviously, about this thus far, but it's not insane. I just think about how many games were blown last year, and I think about the person who was in charge of ensuring that they weren't blown <laughs> and making the call. They won those games. <laughs> how how would he respond? So. Listen, I, if you gave me money to bet right now, I'd probably bet that he doesn't have a job by the end of the year. So, well, with that beginning stretch of the schedule, it's not exactly. It's, here's the thing: they'll probably ride with him still, but it's that is a brutal stretch. It's that, and then if you get past that, then you get a little reprieve, and then you get a, the nine game stretch late January, early February, where there is no let up for two and a half weeks, and you know, one in eight or two in seven is like certainly not out of the question for the stretch of games I'm talking about, which again, I get into in the, in the newsletter because I, I think it all ties together. Anyway, um, I was right. on, I was on Nick's Jets, et cetera, this week. Um, we we're previewing the Jets season, the exciting things to come from the New York football Jets. And I, I posed the question to them that the, the, the Tibbs question to be asking mm. is, does he last longer than the Jets season? And it's like, oh. come January, is Tom Thibodeau the head coach? Because I've seen the same schedule you guys have yeah. to the point that John made about 31 to 39 wins. And I think collectively what we all could see, though a direction we could see this season going, the pivot could very much be where the 12th seed, it's January. Let's pivot into a youth movement. 48 Rose and Julius are available. Tom, God bless you. Johnny Bryant's going to be the head coach. Thank you for the coach of the year and the we here season. And, you know, to, to me, it's very obvious because they're typically organizations don't like to put new coaches in a position where they're going to fail. That doesn't always work out that way. So the notion, I think it would either be 
very early, like whatever, 20, 25 games in, if things really went off the rails or maybe 30 games in, or if it got past the 25, 30 game mark, I think they would wait. And that nine games, again, the nine game stretch I'm talking of is at Atlanta, at Toronto, Cleveland, which is harder now, at Boston, at Brooklyn, Lakers, Miami, Clippers, Philly. That takes them to February 5th. Between February 5th and the All-Star break, they have one, two, three, four, five more games. You would think with only five games between that stretch and the All-Star break, they would just wait and do it at the All-Star break. Maybe they do it a little bit. You think they would do it earlier? Okay. Maybe they no, would do it earlier. I don't actually. Oh, I, don't, okay. I, I think that you any business that's handled is handled in the off season. There you, oh, right, so you think he gets, he finishes the year, Jeremy. So here's the way I see it. If you are in the front office, if you're running a front office, you're the thing that's the best thing for you is time. It's always buying time. If you fire Tom Thibodeau and like replace me. him with someone who's you know an interim and then you hire a new person and then they just like things go really downhill you're gonna lose a job look at steve mills right he was gone by right before the deadline it was a different direction he was on another head coach and i think you could say well that could still follow in that footsteps sure but also the reality is unless that second head coach really shits the bed to such a degree that you made the worst choice possible. You're probably not going to get fired in, in that year either. So if we're talking about, you know, and you have to look at, let's just, let's call it as this. You have to look at the politics of it. Tom Thibodeau's with CAA. Leon Rose was with CAA. Hmm. There's something to be said of, let's just, let's keep it all together from a management standpoint until the end of the year. And then we'll handle our business then. As opposed to like, you could do exactly what, what Andrew is suggesting of turning it towards the youth in a different direction but you're probably not doing it where the salary just absolutely sucks. I know I just say, I'm saying that as I pitch a Russell Westbrook conversation. So yeah, it's very possible that they could still do that hundred percent. So I'll, I'll retract that for a moment. Well, but in terms of, but in terms of like the direction of it, they don't want to be in a position where it's like, yeah, Tibbs and the Knicks, it didn't work out. So we're firing Tibbs because of poor performance. Instead, it would be, we want to go in this direction and Tibbs wants to go in another. But the reality is though, that, entering what would be year four of the Tibbs or I guess even Leon Rose administration, they'd want to win. So if they want to win and, and, and the disagreement with Tibbs is like, well, we don't want to win and Tibbs wants to win, but then the Knicks do want to win. So you're not firing Tibbs because one of you doesn't want to win when you both want to. It's a matter of if he would be the right person in their eyes moving forward to start year four and, of him at the helm. And that is a very different story. And in the offseason, you could also, and Tibbs apparently already has say in the front office, you could do it like he's moving into a consultant role, which we've seen Rosas do. And you, you, it could look a lot smoother. And like, if there's one thing that I, I certainly don't mind saying, it's like this team appearances matter so much. They, it, it, it is the, it's the thing that still gets under my skin, how much appearances matter for this organization and continue to matter for this front office. And if you have any questions about that, Go check your timeline for when the RJ Barrett extension got officially announced because that was some shit right there. Um, I just don't think that the appearance with Tibbs is as important as other topics. And the reason yeah, I they, say but, that but is firing him, it, there's no way you like, they're not going to transition him to the front office in the All Star break. They're going to no, fire him not. in the All Star break. If they wait to the offseason, they could make it pretty. 
Yes, agreed. Yeah. Yes. It's yes. if they did it mid season, then we're gonna get similar rudderless tweets about the Knicks. Right. I agree. That if you do it when the season's over, you can then look at a fresh yeah. batch of candidates. You can figure it out that way. But that's why I just even if things go not great, and I don't expect the Knicks to be abysmal. If anything, I feel like the worst case, not worst case scenario, but in my mind, like a realistic lower point is in that 31 to 39 range of, of wins. But then because of how the play in tournament is designed and how 10 teams can now get in there, it's a very, it's just a very different call. Oh, and the one thing I wanted to mention, which is a different conversation, but um, I find it really fascinating about the news that happened this week where we're going to start to see the mid season tournament coming into the picture soon. Would not surprise me if the reason why the league is pushing that is because then they can feature that in the new TV deal and the new TV deal would then cost more money and more yeah. money would mean a higher salary cap and a higher salary cap would of course mean more spending power for teams. So just a random tidbit I had wanted to throw in there that I suddenly That's remembered. It's a good thought. That February uh, 5th date, John's talking about is game 55. I don't yeah, And if the given Knicks the play 20 and 35, I don't, I don't it think depends how close they are they to the tips. That's the thing. They're not going to fire him if they feel like they're within striking distance of. I also don't think they'll be twenty and thirty-five. I'd be, I'd, I'd be surprised if they were twenty and thirty-five. So what are you thinking? Twenty-five and thirty? Because that, that is reasonably twenty thirty-five. Twenty thirty-five is very different than twenty-five and thirty. I know. I'm saying like it's an improvement of thirty win of of ten wins. Like one is or five wins. Regardless, my point is like if they're fifteen games under five hundred or five games under five hundred. We'll, you know, we'll one isn't a legitimate pivot to a team. Yeah, I mean, of, of course, there's a world where, you know, they can't avoid doing it. But all right, that's a conversation for another day. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy, anything else from you before we get out of here? That's all for me. All right. Andrew, I do have one thing. Yes. And I think I speak for the entire basketball content world when I say this um, to the Sharks family. Um uh, if you're a Knicks fan, I'm assuming you're a basketball fan. If you're a basketball fan, I'm assuming you know who John, who you knew who uh, Jonathan Sharks was. He was a writer, a basketball writer at the Ringer. Who his his coverage of his local team, the Mavericks, as well as the NBA at large, as well as the NBA draft, was outstanding. And a few years ago, he was uh, diagnosed with a rare cancer, a sarcoma, a sarcoma, and. Uh, his wife has, has started a blog then and been sharing updates throughout. Sadly, he passed away on Saturday and there's just like nothing but good things that have come out about this guy. Every pod that he appeared on, whether it be um, the Ringer NBA show uh, or when he was on with, with Bill Simmons, it was uh, just a good dude. Um, you know, I, don't, I don't talk about my faith much on this show, but you do know Pastor Claudio and his Obi Hive. And the one NBA writer he knows outside of Jonathan Macri was Jonathan Charks because um, Charks went on like a, a religious blog a few years ago and it caught my dad's attention. And he was like, you know, this guy. And it's like, come to think of it, Jeremy and I interviewed him back in the day when we had a podcast. He was oh. kind enough to give us a, a 10, 15 minutes way back in the day uh, uh, before our next film school days. Um, he leaves behind a wife and a very young child. And in the back and forth of arguing with each other on Twitter about sports. Um, let's just this, let this just be a reminder of how, how short our time here is. And, um, you know, our thoughts and prayers go out to, to the Sharks family as, and the ringer family, I guess, as, uh, as we all kind of 
collectively try to get through this. Um, we'll put the, the GoFundMe page um, linked into the hyperlink as well in the episode description, as well as in the uh, YouTube description if you want to donate. Um, yeah, rest in peace, Jonathan Sharks. Um, one, I'm, I'm not going to talk about the family he leaves behind because I put yeah, I know. Don't, don't feel like getting emotional right now. Uh, but prayers, obviously, to to everybody um, there. And um, on a slightly different note, I guess, uh, just feels appropriate because I do still remember well. Um, we're recording this on 9-11. So anybody out there who lost someone that day or was... Um, you know, thought they might have lost someone that day, which was basically everybody in New York. Uh, you know, we're we 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 will always have that together, us New Yorkers. So I felt I don't know what there is to say about nine eleven that hasn't already been said, but I just felt like I needed to say something about it. So that is my something. And on that note, uh, thank you for listening to another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. We got normal schedule coming up this week. A couple episodes, a couple good episodes. And then, um, yeah, next week. And before you know it, media day will be here. It is coming quick, my friends. Uh, until then, take care. Have a good week. Talk to you soon.